This podcast episode is brought to you by cats. Not as good as dogs, but better than being dead. Just kidding, guys. This podcast episode is brought to you by nothing. But we'd like to see that change. If there's something you'd like us to support or something you'd want the world to know about, we'd be happy to advertise it for you on our podcast. Contact us at utilitymuffinlabs.com. If you don't, you're a bad friend. All right, enough of that and on to the show. is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast, brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to the Dark Ages. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. My name is Nathan. And I am Bob. And today we are going to take another deep dive into part two of Transylvania by Night. Um, we are we are on a roll. We're ramping up for the full Transylvania Chronicles. So if you're not prepared, you need to get prepared. Is basically <laughs> what I'm saying, right, Bob? Strap in. That's it. Yeah, because this Transylvania by Night book this is a this is a very large city, quote unquote, city book. Um, and then there's four Transylvania Chronicles books. So usually I'll do this at the end, but I'm going to do it for everybody right now up front so everybody knows and can anticipate our podcast release schedule. So we're putting this one out, and then next week we're going to take a week off. And we're still going to record, Bob and I, but I'm going to travel to Chicago, and we're going to sit in the same room and record a podcast together because it's fun to do that every once in a while. So and the difference is astounding. Yeah, <laughs> definitely it is. <laughs> definitely it is. If I could drive to Bob once a week, that would be awesome. But that's a long drive, and I can't do that. No one has that kind of money, at least not me. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so next week, you won't have a podcast from us, but that's because we'll be recording on the day it normally launches, and then we'll go back to our regular scheduled program, but we're going to do basically... All in all, it'll be like six episodes dedicated to Transylvania. And we are going to actually take a journey into the modern because the Transylvania Chronicles, I think three and four are technically modern day vampire books. So right, they jump through time. Yeah, this will be a cool departure, but this is kind of how we decided to do it. I think almost like two years ago, we were like, you know what? Let's just wait and record them all so we can tell you guys sort of a, a more concise story about Transylvania and how it relates to a game, uh, any game that you might run. So that'll be fun. Um, so let's uh, let's take a small little detour here, if you don't mind, Bob. Not and, at all. and let's answer some questions. We have a couple of questions from folks on our Discord. I kind of put out the uh, the call, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ask all of them. I'm not gonna read all of them, but um, a couple of them. And I know some of these you have very strong opinions on. I have some strong opinions on as well. Um, so first one is from one of our listeners, Bio Gundam. He asks, uh, Nathan and Bob, do you like the idea of crossover games? Like, for example, in Chronicles of Darkness, where you can have vampires, werewolves, mages, etc. working together for a certain goal, even if it is still rare and the relationship starts out rather shaky at best. I gotta, I gotta tell you immediately, I am a staunch anti-crossover genres, and it's gonna, it's gonna, a lot of people are gonna go, what? Yeah, I've done... I've done Gen Con games with cross-genre crossovers and seen them from multiple people, multiple angles. 
you know, large groups of people. I even did small games where it's just house games where you added a friend who couldn't, who just had to play a werewolf, you know, amongst that just to try just one, just one difference. Yeah. It all ends the same. Eventually, you have two areas this goes. Either one genre decides that you kick the other genre's ass, and they're dead set to prove it. It doesn't matter what the storyteller says. Right. Because the werewolf's, the werewolf's sitting back snickering about how they have gift or the smite the vampire. And, you know, I got to decide and chop you up. And then the vampire's like, bro, potent, celerity, fortitude, what you got? Like, we don't see where this is going. Right. I got and, dread gaze. What do you got? Right. And they're just hyper-focused on you. The storyteller just sit there going, how the fuck do I stop them from ruining the story I'm telling? Right. All right, well, that's a mini game. Now imagine live action where I have 70 to 100 plus people, Gen Con upwards of 300, and I'm going to be disseminating all these packets of info where they're supposed to be getting along, but in reality, I want you to know they're doing the same thing. They're going in their little circle, and they're saying, we're all the werewolves? Yeah, look at how many vampire players there are. They're always the largest group, but we're the pack. So stay together. And no matter what happens, just if they come back, we'll just kill them all. Mm-hmm. You hear that a lot. And a lot right. of trash talk. Mages threaten to drop the sun on vampires right. every five minutes. It just becomes an irritant more than anything. However, there is a way I do approve of a cross-genre. I'm actually doing it now and it's working very well. Um, I often had this theory that if you look at the world of darkness, it is the world of darkness. And whatever group you sit down to play, whether it be vampire... Wraith, Changeling, it doesn't matter. You're telling the story from their perspective. In this way, you can run a game like Chicago by Night. And sure, you get all the vampires in the book, but there's a section where you can have werewolves and they talk about them. You can flesh out the werewolves, and the werewolves have their own problems to deal with. Yeah. In the same city as the vampires, where they don't have to mix. And then, you know, that's that. And it could even be the same problem, but the werewolves handle their peace of that large problem. The vampires hand their piece of that large problem, and based on how they do, could make more of a problem for the other, or could help them. Right. And they may never know of it. Right. I I agree with you in a lot of those points. Um, One thing I would like to state is, I am not educated enough on how Chronicles of Darkness has handled um, their multiple games, because I just, I've read Requiem, I read first edition Requiem, and I know no other uh, games in their system. I just haven't had the opportunity to read them and I haven't certainly had the opportunity to play them. So I can't say, however, I can say hypothetically, it would make sense that a company making multiple games that occupy the same world when given the second opportunity to make those games would write in some things that make them playable together. That kind of makes sense to me. However, that's not what we're talking about. That's not what our podcast is about. Our podcast is about the world of darkness and the world of darkness. All of these creatures, these quote unquote creatures, they all occupy the same world for sure. As Bob said, Um, one thing for me that I do uh, is if I'm sitting down to run a game and I have three people that want to run that want to play a mage and I have two people that want to play a vampire and I have one person that wants to play a werewolf. I don't run that game. Okay, (laughs) simple as that. I do not run that game. Because that game, to me, it's either too much of a stretch for me to make it make sense that them be together, or we just don't have a simpatico group. We don't have a compatible group. So if I can't convince everyone to play one thing or another, I'm not going to run a game with multiple genres. Just not. 
And you have the overall, the, the stress you put on one storyteller to be master of all those games is, is honestly unfair. It's yeah. unfair. Um, it's, it's hard enough to run their, their, the one, a storyteller should be passionate about the story they're into. Right. And if you have somebody who is pro vampire, pro werewolf, you want them to lead with their passion. You don't right. want them to lead with a, you know, just I, fine, I accept. I acquiesce right. to what you guys want to play. Let's do this. Because it's, you're going to get that. And I just, you know, that's just my opinion. A note to Chronicles of Darkness. I know for a fact you can play people side by side by the way they built them mechanically. I want to stress that. Mm-hmm. However, you even read about the stories they have where you could put like a, a Promethean alongside vampires with werewolves included. And what story are you trying to tell? Right, right. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's what it comes down to. That's what I say first and foremost. If you followed your storyteller little guidebook in your heart, and you know you want to tell a tale, and you want to tell a story, I want you to reflect on big TV shows. Mm-hmm. You don't really see them cross... Like, Game of Thrones did it best, right? In regards of showing you, this family's problems are not this family's problems right now. Right. However, as they arc and come together, note how they fall into war. Yeah. There is a huge problem every time. Then it works, and if you're running that Chronicle, I guess you could do that, where it starts in their own end, and they slam in the middle, and then the story's done. Well, but if you're running the typical, I don't see uh, that going well. Yeah, I, I think something can be said, too, about the level of seriousness in your game. Um, I, I've I've seen and heard, uh, like, I've, I've listened to some actual plays where... Um, you know, it was a, a, a variety of, of, you know, cross genre gameplay where, you know, there was vampires and werewolves and Prometheans and this, that, and the other, but the game was very lighthearted. It was not, it was not a serious exploration in the genre. It wasn't really horror. Um, it was just kind of like good old fashioned can't be fun. If you're doing that, great. Uh, that's the story you want to tell. That's the game you want to run. I'm not against it. It's just not what I would do. It's not if what I, can, I would run. If I can officially state, and and I, I would speak for Nate, just correct me if I'm wrong, Nate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're When we are about something, we are about it. What that means is if it's vampire, it is vampire. We want all aspects full in your face. We want the goth romantic genre crying horror aspects of it. We want the mortal half that's supposed to be the lighthearted half uh-huh. that is more down to earth, but then they have their problems. It's World of Darkness classic, but we are not looking for some mate. Gandalf doesn't walk into our vampire meeting. You're right. Right? Because once, even if you didn't hear it from my tone, when that happens, immediately the needle's off the record. Right. And folks want to know, here's why. If you're a player, I don't want you to feel shortchanged. If I let someone else come in with unique abilities, you didn't even know it was an option. Right. Right? If you could play a vampire, or you could play a mage, which would you choose? And the answer is, I would play a mage who was gould. <laughs> That's, you see what I'm saying? Your right, mind immediately right, goes right. to, how can I make the best of both worlds? Right, right, right. I, I think uh, I think that um, mixing up sort of um, like the, the predefined themes of the game... Um, it, for me, it really takes me out of the game, but I, I look at it like uh, the same way that some people might look at like Terminator three, right? Terminator three in its heart is a Terminator movie, right? However, there are so many little departures into 
the humorous, into the campy, into like whimsy that the first two movies did not have. Right. So, you know, a lot of people get mad when you talk about the right way and the wrong way to play the game. There isn't a right way and a wrong way to play the game. However, you must maintain consistency. You must be consistent with the agreed upon uh, themes of the game. I had the actual pleasure of watching my uh, my nephews once upon a time uh, try to tell me about Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Right. And instead of a card game, they actually were role-playing it. And I don't know if it was because they heard the podcast, you know, because they listen. Uh, my sister does a lot to this sometimes. I, nerd words, really. But point is, they wanted to tell me, story tell for me, what Pikachu was doing and what uh, Snorlax was doing. Right. And everything else. And it was good for me to see that the storytelling genes run strong. Right, right. Here's I was going to, let me, let me pause you one second. That's called being a child. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. what we all do until we grow up. <laughs> right. But it's, it's a healthy thing to do, right? Right, so, for sure. But as, for sure. They, as they were doing it, and I heard them doing it, I sat there and I went, hmm, I get to really see what storytelling is about. What are they trying to do? They're trying to make me a fan of the material they're portraying, which right. is Pokemon. And they're doing it very well, right? I had the little card in my hand. I had the little pictures to go with it. You know, it's rawr, making the noises to stop. Rawr. I was like, this is pretty fun. You know, just you know, just to hear the right. nephews do the thing, and then I thought about it. How does this relate when you grow up and you're a storyteller? Talks about detail, right? Talks about mm-hmm. immersion. Yes. It talks about the joys, the different voices you have to take as a storyteller, the attempts, right? The uh, genre you have to paint carefully, and how to bring that together. And so, when you say right and wrong, to me, there is. I will state to you flat out, there is. When you half-hearted attempt to tell the story of the genre you pick, you were doing it wrong. Right. Right. It's, it's that simple. And so when somebody comes at me with Goofy Town and the theme and the <laughs> right. theme is not Goofy Town, right. I already have shut my brain off. And it's right. not to be rude. It's that we can't talk on the same level because I'm in a different place than you are. Right, right. Because we've established a sort of uh, consistency in, in the game or the story that we're, we're telling. And if you, if you go back, I'll go back to, to Terminator here. If you go to Terminator 2, there are brief interludes where... The characters, having dealt with all this terrible stuff, they might have a moment of sort of lighthearted humanity, right? They might go, yeah. hey, this is how you smile. Or, you know, think of the, the, the trip that they're taking in the car, going across the desert, going to pick up this big cache of guns. And John Connor is trying to teach the Terminator, like, how to speak like a normal human being, right? Trying to humanize this cyborg, this killing machine. Right. That's consistent within the movie, but it's these brief interludes that make you remember, oh, they're human there. There's humanity to them. It is not the TX in the Porsche in Terminator three who sees the billboard of the attractive voluptuous woman. And when the cop pulls her over, she inflates her boobs. That takes you right out of the that takes you right out of the movie. Because you're like, why? Why would they do that? That's dumb. That, that, you know, it's it's the Terminator wearing the Elton John glasses. <laughs> time out, time out. <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about. Other than this, mm-hmm. you fucking love Terminator, dude. That is <laughs> yes, awesome detail. <laughs> yes, I that do. It is awesome. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I. But what I'm saying is, there there's a way that it can be done where humanity can be injected into your game without turning it into a slapstick. You know, uh, a completely like inane, ridiculous game, right? Where you 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 want to maintain the horror, the horror of this monster hunting us down, trying to kill us, and we're trying to defeat it, and we're trying to beat the apocalypse. 
when is slapstick okay? When it's out of character. Mm-hmm. That's my rule of thumb. Throughout all this, right. slapstick should be head out of character. Yeah. If it's a serious scene and it's dark and scary and grim, it is okay for your friends not in the scene, even if they're in the scene, to out of character, poke a little fun at it. Right. They're there to have a good time, and that adds levity, and that adds enjoyment, and that builds a memory. We are all here to do that. Yeah. But we're saying separate your meat from your potatoes so you know what it's like individual flavor-wise. Right. When, when Pinhead comes in the room, he doesn't need to wear a party hat. I'm just saying. There's no excusable reason for Pinhead to put on a party hat. I have such animals to build for you. <laughs> Balloons from hell. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's get into uh, the part two of our Transylvania by Night episode. Episode two. Episode uh, whatever this is. Um, so where do we leave off, Bob? My apologies. Um, we left off. You we were talking about Kapala fall things were, were clear. Mm-hmm. We talked about Kapala's Eve mm-hmm. and what uh, what they do with that, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Listen to that part. If you forgot, we won't kill time here with it. Uh, but we warned you that we were going to go back a little bit and yeah. we were going to explain uh, what is what is going on with this uh, lovely Transylvania. I'm going to do what's known as step the hell out of Bob's way because Bob's been doing research. Bob's got some stuff he wants to get off his chest. So basically, you got to understand the whole entire, why are they messed up? That's the first and foremost. I don't mean that in an offensive term at all to Europe. I don't mean messed up like, man, y'all jacked, you know, because guess what? <laughs> America wasn't here yet. I was there too by then, okay? <laughs> right. I'm just saying. What I am saying is this. You had Rome, right? right. Rome decides that it's going to conquer everywhere. Rome literally went to the known world as far as it was concerned. And they brought roads. And they build little hamlets, little town structures, all to a militaristic defense. Always to hold it. And when they came to the Eastern Europe half, they, they encountered pagans a bunch. Right? That's, that's all that was there. And they were warring with these cats, and then they, they subjugated them, honestly. They, they sat there and said, we're Rome, we're not going anywhere. We'll keep killing you. Or you can calm down. Let me show you what spice is. Right. Let me show you what some of this other stuff is that we got from other lands. Let's build a little trade. Let's just calm it down. And, you know, the Dacians were the people that were there originally. And as I explained before, Dacians are from Thracians, right? We know Thracians. You watch Spartacus if you don't know and, and figure that out. But basically, they're considered, of course, this barbaric horde part of it. And when the Romans get there, they chill them out. And they're like, hey, look, we're going to chill. We're here. You're here. Look what we have. They said, all right, cool. Let's share some culture. And the Romans go, we have many gods. And the pagans said, we have many gods. So then I guess we're all pagan. Sure are, let's chill. And they're just doing that until religion takes a turn, right? Holy Roman Emperor is like, we're all Christian. Pass it around. And he gets all the way out to this end. And the Romans are like, the nobles go, what happened? Yeah, we're coming home. Like, what? Oh, we can't be here. Whether they knew it was because of that or they knew Rome was falling, they, they decided to head home. Well, when they left home, they left all their stuff behind. Pagans resume. Right? People right. take up stuff. But not all of them left. And those who remain, those Dacians and those Romans, of those, those, yeah, those of Dacian and Roman descent become the Romanians. That's what they're doing. Now, the religious pagan and this Eastern Orthodox religion is kind of half in here because the Romans were here for a little bit. And that was one of the religions they brought. Right? Just here. This is here too. Along with your stuff. Just do you, we do us. No big deal. And that was because of the uh, influence from the Byzantine, uh, well, Constantinople. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where it extended from. 
However, when Rome fell, a tribe rises up, and they're known as the Huns. And the Huns decide that they were chilling in the Carpathian Basin. Screw it, we're going to start taking over everywhere. Right? And they go to town. However, the Huns have, uh, get all the way to Constantinople, and the patriarch Mikael, Michael, as he's known, uh, makes a deal and pays a huge ransom to have the Huns just skip Constantinople. Just, just leave us alone, man. Which is, which is something I think we discussed in our review of Constantinople by night. Right. And when that happens, Attila's empire basically gets ground to a halt. Because he gets this money, he gets complacent. And he can't do that. It's like being in prison. Just because you, you got paid some fat loot, now you got to defend fat loot. Right. Is what it comes down, because everyone's coming for it. Now, the Gespids, if I pronounced that correct, uh, they're an Eastern Germanic goth tribe. They rock the Huns completely. They come up and they're like, oh, you're the Huns? Yeah, goodbye. You're done. Mm-hmm. Well, then you have Flavius Odysseus, who's a barbarian statesman in Rome, who deposes the last Roman emperor and becomes king of Italy. Well, then the Ostrogoths go in and take out Italy. <laughs> a barbaric horde. And they end that going on. Then you have the Bulgars, which are Turkic nomadic warrior tribes that conquer the southern lands of Constantinople. Then you have the Slavic tribes that come and take the Balkans. And they bring in the Shadow Lords, the Zemis, and the Gangrel amongst them. This is where basically they're going to start fighting and becoming Carpathian. You can see this forming. Right. Um, then the northern Slavs came as settlers and put down roots. They said, basically, we don't want a war. We just want the good farmland and a place to be us. Now, what's cool about this is that you have a group called the Avars. They're a confederation of barbaric tribes. And uh, they come in and they decide they're going to dominate the Carpathian Basin. You wonder why that's cool. Because these guys get real comfortable, right? They're in here, kicking rocks, decide they're going to beat up all these other barbaric tribes and screw that, right? We're, the, we're king everything. Then Charlemagne the, Charlemagne the Great, and if you don't know about this cat, you've heard the name Charlemagne. Everybody has. Right. You may not have heard why he is a badass. And one of them is because he basically unites northern and western uh, Europe. He unites them, and then he even goes to the east and kicks rocks. Now, why it says it unites them and it didn't in the east is because there was strong hesitance... Uh, from uh, the East to convert to their Christianity. And remember, this is everything. This is a war of religion, straight up. Because when Charlemagne the Great comes over, he kicks the Avar so bad. He beats them so bad. I've never heard it put in such a fashion as the way they did it here. That he comes in and tells them the price of continued existence is as, as if they convert. You become Christians or you all die here. Is what it basically came down to. And the leaders were like, look, man, calm down. We're Look, baptize us now. We'll do it right here. Right. And we're good. <laughs> and then this guy, Charlemagne, goes, no, that's not good enough. You're, you're baptized? Yeah, missionary. <laughs> goes right here. Don't touch my building. And he leaves. <laughs> right? And you're like, okay. Well, they're now subjugated and a little calm or whatever. Well, years go by as they do. The Magyars come into the play. Right? And they're basically the Magyars of the Hungarians as we know them. Uh, but it's an onager word meaning ten arrows. Meaning that they were ten tribes under a particular khanate, uh, the Khazar khanate to be exact. And seven of that tribe decide that they're not going to handle some deed dealing in the khanate. There was an uprising. They were told to do it. They said no, and they knew they had to leave. Right. They come migrating over into this area that is vaguely open for conquest. Because you, you have a subjugation. There's a missionary. Everyone's farming, kind of chilling out from all the warring. And, and that's just what it is. Well, these Magyards have a single ruler who is called Arpad. This is important. As I told Nate, this annoyed me. 
I'm in here reading about the vampires, and I kept getting the name Arped thrown, but I couldn't remember what it was from. Right. I had to go back and like meticulously read to catch that point. Arped is just the leader of the Magyars, right? His name, that name becomes more and more important because the Magyars' strongest uh, supporter uh, are the Arped descendants, because it's the he has the largest chunk of the Magyar tribes of the seven that are there, and they're kind of dancing to his tune. Now, Emperor Henry the Fowler defeats the Magyars. And uh, when he defeats them, this smooth Arped, uh, Agulia, I don't know how to pronounce that, A-G-Y-U-L-A? Sounded right. I, I, yeah. I'll take it. All right. Agulia <laughs> Arped makes an alliance. He basically says, hey, man, chill out. We got cool warriors. Let's not totally do us in, and we, we'll kind of fight for you. And Fowler's like, yeah, you will. No problem. And so at the time, this leader of the Arpeds that was kind of kicking around uh, is Bolsku. We know the name Bolsku because he becomes a pretty important venture, but at this time, he's a, he's a Magyar war leader. And this guy, Henry the Fowler, goes, I need you to come west. I need you to deal with some of my enemies over here who won't dance to my tune. There's still some unrest going on because we, we have the Byzantines. They're still coming through claiming their level of religion. It needs to be this level of religion. Some people won't play ball. They say, yeah, fine, we're coming. Well, as they come over, Mikhail sees an opportunity. And he's like, hey, we, we had that alliance going. Bolsku, why don't you just, uh, you know, listen to my cue. I'll introduce you to this cat, Dominic. Don't worry about him. We know Dominic is, at this point, a Carthaginian bruja who really right. wants to get payback to the venture. Right. Which is the whole goal. And he jumps on board to help this guy, Bolsku, out. And the Hungarian cavalry assaults Western Europe. They run over the German lands, right? They're really here to smash. Mikhail wants to smash the Teutonic Knights. Because remember, these guys came over and wiped out Aventure Methuselah, or excuse me, uh, Zemis Methuselah. If you remember Bailabog. Yeah. Right? Right. They came over and just wiped out Bailabog and everything he stood for. And that was and that showed the power of the Teutonic Knights and of Germany at this point. So part of Holy Roman Empire, Mikhail needs to cripple them. And so the, the, the sends the cavalry right at him. The Magyars are pretty badass. Let's see what happens. Well, with the Bruja joining in, this is all but assured. Like, what are you going to do? The Bruja are ghouling people. They're best warriors. They're making it happen. Right. Bolskul gets goo, uh, gets gooed. Gets well, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Bolskul, Bolski gets ghouled. And uh, he starts uh, listening to these dreams he's having, right? At the right. height of them doing the job Mikhail sent them for, they're getting closer to Germany. And this, this dream tells him to come to this particular castle, doesn't tell him why. And when Bolsku gets close during the day, they're carrying Dominic asleep in a whatever they carried him in. He's asleep from the day, probably in like a little crate box covered by the most loyal of the loyal. I mean, he is a badass bruja. Like a wagon or in. something. Who knows? He gets brought over, and right when Dominic wakes up, Bolsku stakes him. He's like, oh, you're awake, sir. Dominic's like, yes, I am. What's going? Wood to the chest. Yep. Just, ah, call the day. He goes to sleep, and uh, the venture wakes up, and it's uh, this guy, uh, Heinrich. Uh, that's not his full name. I put that somewhere. Heinrich of Volstag is his specific name. And uh, Heinrich tells him, hey, man, good job. Guess what? You're here. Tonight, you're a venture. Now I give you all the conquesting that a king could ever want. Sends him on his way. Well, he was leading this huge Magyar revolt, right? And it was going bad. Right. Because they were winning. 
And then the Holy Roman Emperor Otto, freshly there, turns around and fights the Hungarian horde to a standstill. So if you can imagine, the Hungarian tribes have been warring so much with these lightning raids, with this cavalry, they called it the adventure. Right? Right. They didn't call it a war, it was the adventure. Hey Nate, let's get together when you're here in Chicago, let's go on an adventure to the city. Yeah, right, let's go do that, and we'll <laughs> we'll conquer our way. <laughs> it's an entirely different thing for them, they're having fun. Right. And the adventure comes to a halt, and the Magyar's like, ah, darn, let's go back to the Carpathians. I guess that's over. They bring Bolsku with, and Bolsku goes, guess what? We're going to open trade uh, with the West. And they're like, what are you talking about? We just went over. He goes, yeah, 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 we conquered them, but now we got trade. Right. And this is the venture influence. This was the plan all along. Because of Bolsku being a venture, him opening up trade, you now have the inroad of takeover that's coming to all of Tran- well, Transylvania and on, right? That's that's the point. Well, the Arpads are the ones who had seven tribes, right? Part of the Magyars there. And each one, at one time, gets a prince. Right up specifically a vampiric prince. But through the warring, I hope I've highlighted here. Uh-huh. It's like, I'm not explaining the dates and centuries. I don't want you to focus on yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, not to like interrupt you or, or rush it at all, but... Um... For me, as Bob is explaining this, I'm literally learning because I've read this book. But here's the thing. This book does something uh, very well that um, I think a lot of us would need, which is tell us an abridged version. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> right, here's the thing. A lot of people get hung up on the history. Um, and, and, and they should. You know, people like history and they study. But uh, I ain't got time for that. As a storyteller, like, I want to tell a story, and I want to know what I need to know. And Bob is basically doing that for us right now. So please, right. please continue. I don't, I don't wish to interrupt. So, all right. So you got, <laughs> you got these seven princes, right? And uh, they're dancing to the tune of, uh, of an Arpad in particular that's Bolsku. And he's kind of setting up shop, right? Get all these seven lined in a row. That becomes more important as you look through individual vampires, which I promise you we won't get to today because of the length. Of the mm-hmm. pod we're trying to keep to, but they're in the books to outline this. But no, the Arpad name is important. Yeah. Now, uh, in Transylvania, though, which is the focus of today, and I said all this to point this out, Transylvania's had multiple conquerors. They had people try to come in and settle. They had people wipe them out. They had folks before that. But before all these people, they had original lords. Right. Right? It was not the Zemis. What? Yeah, that's correct. Wasn't Dracula either. Because he isn't even born yet. No, he's not even a factor yet, so please hold your shorts. Who it is, okay, is the Shadow Lords. It's the Sept of the Night Sky. They sat, if you can imagine, this primitive time almost, and they've dictated how humanity has grown throughout this area through something the werewolves practice called the Impergium. And what it means is that if the population gets too high to start damaging the surrounding lands, they cull the mortals. That's what the Shadow Lords do. These these tyrannical Shadow Lords, right? right? That's what they've been doing. But when Rome brought civilization, that changed everything. Because the Shadow Lords then became open to negotiations. They were not aware of these other type of people. And they were like, hey, let's talk. And that's been going on since. But when these people come in, not to negotiate, but come to Transylvania saying, you will convert or you will die. Right. That is the goal. You basically told them, start the war. It's ongoing. And Transylvania does one thing. When, when this religion comes, when they're saying, hey, you're going to be dancing to the Popa or else. Because they allowed Orthodox. Remember, Orthodox mixed 
some of the ways here. It was accepted amongst the other pagan religions. Just cool. Here's Christ now. Remember that. And here you go. And that's kind of how they delivered it. And cool. Well, not anymore. You had these people saying flat with the R-pads, you're going to be Latin Christian or Catholic, as it were. That's the goal. Or you're to be put to the sword. Well, Transylvania refuses to bend the knee, as the fun saying goes. And they're like, not us. And uh, the Magyar race there, that's Magyar race. The Magyar's there, the Dacian Roman settlers that are there, um, turn around and battle the Magyars. Because the Magyars are led by the Arpads, and the Arpads want to enforce this. Dacian Romans, the Romanians, they, they oppose it directly. So by day, they're warring, right? By night, you right. have the Zemis, the Gangrel, and Nasratu opposing directly the Magyar venture, right? This is to the backdrop of howls at the full moon as the Shadow Lords are mustering the spiritual strength, calling in markers. They're getting the get to come up to start hip. When you call right. out a marker and the get of Fenris, right? Fenris's own start coming up. You're going, where's the, ro- where's the war, bro? Where's that? You know, we came all the way from the Black Force of Germany. We're here to do it. Right. You know, they're like going, yeah, yeah, calm down. We're just now settling the politics. Screw your politics, bro. I came here to fight. And that's, they're dealing with that. This is why Transylvania gets their focus in this book. Right. This has the largest chunk of supernatural, just basically, it's war every way you turn. Well, and here's the thing about the, the history that we're, we're learning here with the Zemis. And also, I, just as a side note, um, I learned more about the Shadow Lords from this book than I have any, like any other werewolf ever from a vampire book. Right. And, and I think that that's really cool. And they don't even they're not, they don't do like that typical thing like like oh werewolves generic. Here's a werewolf thing. They're like nah, Shadow Lords, Cairn, you know, uh, Bond. You know, they just use the language. They're like, look, by now if you haven't read a werewolf book, tough shit, go read one. Uh, right, and, <laughs> right. And I I really appreciate that as someone who's like you know like. I, I don't treat me like a child. You know what I mean? Like I always hated that about the core books where they're like, a werewolf can use potence if you want to use potence. <laughs> now they're like, dude, go read the book, please. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna get involved, read the book, because you're gonna have to. Right. And I like that because it's important when you're using the Shadow Lords as an enemy to learn a little bit about the Shadow Lords so that they're a compelling enemy. Because here's what we're learning here. We're learning everything about the Zemis and how basically it's just a long fight for them for because it's against themselves there's no like i'm i'm the voivode no i'm the voivode oh let's fight i'll throw my freaks at you you throw your freaks at me what are we fighting for oh to enslave the mortals sweet um all right well we're fighting each other now here comes these upstart mages who've been like just kidnapping you know whoever just you know sally the zemis where'd she go where's tommy I don't know. Oh, now there's Where'd this clan go? of freaking Shamir. Oh, great. <laughs> now now they're like j- just taking a whack at us. There's the Ventru. There's the Let werewolves. the White Wolf canon know that it was Sally and Tommy of yes. Clans of Meese who were yes, abducted. Because yes, yeah. I prefer yeah. those names. The, names. the names haven't been given, but we know it was Sammy and Tommy. Sally and Tommy. We, we know. Um, <laughs> so, you know, they, they, they're, they're having to deal with the Tremir. Uh, they're also having to deal with the Ventru. They're having to deal with the werewolves. And, you know, when the moon is full... And and the songs start. We've got to do the night of Kapala. Like we got to go fight the demons when the freaking the spirits start. You know, it, you get possessing no break. rocks. Right. You get nothing. You get no break. No soup for you, Zemis. Right. And uh, to the to the rest of it. Well, uh, 
well, this is actually shorter. I deliberately made this uh, the least of it because this is just basically defining what went on. I took the most notable RPAD. It's not Bolsku. Mm-hmm. Bolsku might be the most influential, the most notable was Giza. Giza is basically the ruler of the uh, Magyars when Bolsku becomes a vampire. And uh, that's because his tribe's the strongest. Remember they have seven? He right. took one. And he decides that, oh man, they're coming to convert everybody. And Transylvania's at war with it. Well, he's on the west side going, I could either resist, and we know how that's going to go, or I can just quickly convert. Maybe I could stop them from coming here at all if I tell them we're Christians. So they, they go and they get baptized and boom, him and his family are Christian. And darn it, all the people coming to sack his land go, well, welcome. That's cool. And the Pope goes, all right, I have more land. He says, yes, uh, the Pope, uh, you have his land. He goes, all right, cool. Send him uh, Bavarian knights. Those men will guard him. He'll need safety. And send him missionaries. They'll need missionaries. And he gets them all and he takes them and he gives the largest of his lands to the Bavarian knight bodyguards, blah, blah, blah. They're not really bodyguards, folks. If you look at it, the Bavarians were there because if he decided to flip, they were, he was going to get killed and smoked. And they were going to defend his lands. And he knew that. He knew that. So he was trying to tell me, yeah, we're cool. At the same time, there had been a pagan element led by some shaman that was slowly undermining what he was doing anyway as a Magyar. So he really couldn't get anything done. He didn't necessarily have a problem with the pagan religion, but, you know, they have their own influence. It's a religion influencing people. Well, then he turns around and goes to the east, and uh, he tells them, says, hey, check this out. We have uh, we have Christ now, and uh, he's not really important. He's just one of your gods. Just, you know, he's a god added to the gods that we have gods for. You know, just do your thing. And he begins mixing them a bit. Mix Christianity with some of the pagan. That's cool. Don't worry about it. No one worries. Then he decides to turn around and he takes a wife. The wife he takes is the sister of the Giula. And who a Giula is, is a Hungarian tribal leader. So this means that another Hungarian tribe over here, not a Magyar, right, was sitting over here and she was doing her own thing. And he basically said, hey, we were part of the Kazan Khanate and we just came over and settled. We just didn't come with you initial seven. And we're just chilling here, and so we brought our religion, which is a pagan faith. And, you know, I got this sister, but I heard you had this Christ, and what is it? And so they shared, and there's a marriage. He says, hey, here's Christ. This is cool. Here's some pagan gods. He was like, thumbs up. <sighs> now everybody's happy. You gotta understand why this is bad. This is gonna get back to the Pope. We know it's gonna get back to him what's going on. The rumors start flying, right? They hear about the fact that this woman, they literally called her... Uh, what is it? The the she was worse than barbarism because she infected Christianity with paganism. Right, her right. their days were numbered based on what was going on. However, Bolskul screw he screws the pooch. He sits there and goes, Ah, Giza, he's conquested. He went over there and converted, and he did it by marriage. Good job. I shall embrace this arpad. Well done, Giza. You're embraced. Changed Giza's entire world. Giza wanted to die. He, was, he wanted to live old and die, live a normal life in Christ. And he thought by uniting and giving peace, that's, that's what he was going to get. Right. That's his way to the kingdom. Well, what happens is he gets embraced and he now feeds on the blood of mortals. And it's a shit show. That's horror for somebody of faith, right? Now when he sees a cross, he basically has, has like epileptic fits. He can't deal with it. And it's because of guilt. It's, it's dealing with all this. And he starts plotting, straight plotting against Bolsku. And, and everything that's going on. So the fall of the Arpads begins at the fangs of Bolsku. And that's what goes on. 
Now, the rest of it's in, in the stories, what goes on here. I don't want to drone on and on and on even more. Uh, but to, to highlight one thing, Zecklers will get mentioned. And without you looking up, they're the descendants of a Khazar Khanate that migrated with the Magyars but stayed in Transylvania. And they made Transylvania their home, is where that is. They, they choose to defend it. That's right. important later for Mitru the Hunter, keeping in mind. Right. Well, let's, uh, let's move on a little bit. And uh, let's talk about the Tremere, shall we? We shall. So in this chapter, um, it goes over basically. Um, it, it basically goes over the entirety of the Tremere, uh, going from mage to canine. Uh, the the rise of the Tremere as a clan. Um, but here's a, a thing that I I didn't know. I wasn't aware of because I had not read this particular chapter before. I, like most people, I'm familiar. I understand that uh, essentially the Tremere Mages' uh, magic was dying off in the world and their power was lessening and weakening. And they felt sort of the um, the rituals and, and the powers that they had used to extend their lives start to sort of dwindle and decay. Sort of, uh, you know, it was like a mad dash for immortality. So Tremere, the, uh, you know, a high magus of, of the... Of of the the um, the house uh, that that he was a part of, um, that he discovered or tracked down the secrets of vampirism, uh, and it wasn't difficult because they had built this chantry in Transylvania where the frickin' Zemis are, and so through they don't explain in the chapter exactly what he found or what he tracked down, but basically he discovered a way to. Uh, give everyone a drink and essentially turn them into a vampire. Um, now, now what's weird about this, right? And I gotta, I gotta do this because I had to read this a couple times too to kind of uh-huh. what the hell. There's an inconsistency. Yeah, it jumps from them being mages to boom, they're vampires. Yet, yeah, there are still mortal mages amongst them who are immortal. Yes, and so what you gotta mm. understand, and also immortal mages that don't know they're vampires. Right. Suspect, right. but don't know. Right. So what goes on is, is that, wait a so Gorch just left, and somehow comes back with this mystical potion. Right? And this potion, a mage drinks it, they're immortal. That's, I mean, basically, they're not ghouls, right? right. It has vampiric right. blood in it, but they're not, they're not, they're not ghouls in that right. sense. Right. It's like, in lieu of you getting potency of the blood and any of the blood bond... You instead get the immortality for all time, or do you? You do, as it hints to it. But this wasn't good enough for Tremere. Now, this was the very point. Right. Gortrix was sent to get the very thing he brought back. Uh-huh. But yet when he brought back that, Tremere still was like, hey, did you get the uh, the thing? Right? Right. Because Gortrix is like, yeah, 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 I got Sally. They, they mention it in here, too. There's a little box right. where they're like, isn't it weird? That this is the only example of this happening. We wonder why that is. Huh. That's a weird thing, isn't it? (laughs) And you're like, yeah, it's a weird thing. Like, why aren't you telling me? And I think it really comes down to one of two things. Now, I'm not familiar with all these Dark Ages books. I haven't read every story. So maybe somewhere there's more story to tell. Or alternatively, they're doing what White Wolf loved to do. Which was, uh, make it up yourself, dummy. Oh, remember, in that same box they go, Kapala? Right, right, right. Could it be Satan? 
It's it's Kapala, isn't it? I thought it would. Okay, let me point some things out, Nate, for you. If, if not, maybe if not the least, but at uh-huh. least you, uh-huh. right? I want you to imagine my wrath as it grew. Yeah. Reading this, right? They want to say they they tell you flat out that Kapala is a bane spirit. Right. Bane spirit bound in the earth, one of corruption, can only work through his minions, yes. and that's that. So he's yes. trapped. Yes. He he was trapped, right? If we remember the Zemisi clan book, Zemis freed him from a pinprick hole or whatever, bound him to his will to learn his secrets, and then the werewolves came and trapped him again. You know, or some nonsense like that. Kapala was out, that he's not, and then he's down, and that's that. We call it a day. And now Kapala's in the soil, right? Or whatever right. it is. Well, here, they're like, no, no, he's in the soil, he is, but, you know, we just kill him and move on. We do a ritual of torment every full moon, or whatever it is. Uh-huh. Interesting. All right, so he's not powerful enough to free himself, but he's powerful enough to give Tremere and Etrius the knowledge to find every sleeping antediluvian, right? As they point out, they have all these antediluvians, and they get to see all their power levels, and who's the weakest of them? And then they find the most timid and least likely to oppose them right. and where he's hidden himself, and we know it to be solid. Except, I enter this to the court. <laughs> is it possible makes more sense I think than in this grand game of jihad of antediluvian versus antediluvian or what have you uh-huh. that Solid who is an evil mofo yeah. they've highlighted this and danced around it forever if you don't think so by now you're not reading the books and it's this Solid in Torpor part of his kismet game was to go I got some pretty treacherous mages up here I need some pawns and I need them quick right I need to get this going. And so he convinces Tremere, magic's disappearing. It's right. fading from the world. What is he, a fae? Where, where's magic and going? Here, here's, what not... really, here, here's what really baffles me about that. If magic is fading from the world and the powers of their magical spells are, are dwindling, how do we still have mage? That's my point. That's my entire point. Right. I, I just have, I've just always done this. Meh, that, that's the story. We'll stick to it. I gotta have it make sense, right? Right, Because what makes more sense, even in a historical sense, it's not that magic was fading. It's that technology was improving. Right. Civilization was here. Right? They even talk about all the powers that the Tremere have or that the mages are doing mimic 20th century technology, but in the 12th century. Right. To help the storytellers out just... If, if you needed them to hear, hear it at a, at a vast distance in a specific magic. conversation... It's just clear audience. Magic. Right? It's like a directional <laughs> right, right, microphone, right, right. right? And they're trying to help you magic, as you magic. said. Magic. So it wasn't it wasn't fading. It's just your tricks had to be improved, kids. Thaumaturgy. Right. But something convinced <laughs> <Sorry>. them. <laughs> something convinced them that, oh, man, it's disappeared. We better figure it out. And then they send Goratrix out, and he comes back. Hey, captured Zemis. What? Yeah, some ancients. We got him. Right. All right, cool. And then, cool, you get this elixir from nowhere. Here it is. Right? Right. Um, I've never had antediluvian blood. No one has, right? I've never had vampire blood for that matter. But I'm saying that no character ever in a book has really been sipping straight from antediluvian. We don't know what it is. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't think of any examples of that. So it makes sense to me. One sip from the source of an antediluvian could make a mortal immortal for as long as they like. I mean, it would certainly make you a badass ghoul. Think about it like this. Yeah. I mean, maybe they were just like glorified ghouls. So, and we know what happens at the end game. So if you tie this all together, right. they go through all that. They find, yeah, there's antediluvians. Yeah, yeah, you can eat someone's power. And then convince Tremere to do it. Yeah. And anybody else, convince Tremere. Now, Tremere was a treacherous house wizard who knew one thing. You never do it yourself. 
You never do it yourself. You pawn everybody and ensure your lasting legacy every time. Right. And so why not pick Etrius, loyal Etrius, please diab this evil mofo. Right. And so I'm safe from the very worrisome fact that it could take over my spirit. And I'm a neonate. Do not lose sight of this. This entire clan is a bunch of neonates. Right. They have the gen, they have the treachery, they have their knowledge. They do not have the power. How are they opposing? Straight opposing all this stuff going on. Someone had to help them in, yeah. in multiple facets of the world. Right. I'm only stating that because this book more or less highlights the massive holes, but they want you to believe it's Kapala. Any theurge can come and handle Kapala anytime you want to write the campaign. Uh-huh. You know, that's, right. that's all I'm saying. Right. The, the, the cool thing about this, or the bad thing about this, but I think the cool thing because the bricks are laid, is yeah. they leave enough plot hole for you to try to fill it, fill it yourself. And I think that that's, that's an important thing that a lot of people don't recognize is that, yeah, they're telling a story, but they're telling a story that's designed to inspire you to ask questions in your own game, to make right. the story in your own game. And so that's why, like, when people are like, oh, the clan novels are crap or, or whatever, any, any book where they're like, oh, the story doesn't make sense. Well, I mean, kind of that's the point. Like, you're supposed to story tell the game. You're supposed to run it and make it yours. Bottom line, it's a business. And they're trying to attract a vast audience. They can't. No one can take a hard opinion and make it there when it's supposed to be shared by an imaginative audience, right? Yes, makes sense. That's the that's kind of the trick of Game of Thrones, too, folks. Just saying. Yes. Any, yes. Anyway, so uh, but but we do get what we get here is we get essentially a full layout of Sioris. So if you did want to, like, march your Zemis marauders up the hill and fight the Tremere, you could do that if you wanted to. It's pretty neat to see what that looks like. I think all of us have always wondered, like, wow, what does a Tremere Chantry look like? Here you go. But we also have uh, access to those really cool characters, uh, Arden of Golden Lane. And, uh, you know, we get we get some information about what he's doing and where he's going, which I believe... Uh, has to do with Vienna. I don't know. I also, uh, before we skip out the the Chimera, we just well, we didn't. We just mentioned Arden. There's an important place that they mention in here that I don't recall ever reading before, and I was kind of fun for me to read again and get it. Uh huh. Um, like every time I read this book, I was finding something new. Uh, but uh, the the supernal prison of the spirit world uh, is where. Uh, why did I just say that? <laughs> <laughs> that was just in my I've read too much today. No, uh the it's an it, it nicks that entirely. Like I was possessed suddenly. I don't know why I said that. Uh the other it, there's another chantry, several chantries that exist for the Shamir. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know where that came from. Uh, the, <laughs> anyway, it's called the Wooden Veil. The Shamir the Shamir and Sioris have, uh-huh. a, have a problem. They're running out of Vis. One of the reasons they chose Sioris as the site is that they were able to mine this Vis. Vis is hardened quintessence. It's a physical, <laughs> tangible object that a mage can drain to fuel their spells. Uh-huh. Right? That's why they chose it. Sioris is running out of it, but it wasn't the most important site. To highlight the importance of the Carpathians, the Wooden Veil is a chantry that is in the Eastern Carpathians. And this Chantry is steady mind for the Vis that it has, because it has it in abundance. And this is what is fueling Sioris and the other surrounding Chantries. This is some of the reason 
as to why Sioris can't just simply fall. They're being fueled magically. And that's to do all that you want to say that a mage can and cannot do with that. Right, right. Well, so this was super informative to me. Um, I think anybody who's interested in the Tremere and their role in the whole Transylvania Chronicles, uh, this is a good place to start. Um, this is the beginning. And, of course, there are other books that will, will guide you there. Uh, the next chapter, we go into a storytelling. And this, honestly, for me, is one of the better storytelling sections I've had the opportunity to look at. If not for one reason and one reason only. Actually, there's two reasons. But the first reason is um, they wrote vampiric weaknesses that are not part of Vampire the Masquerade into Vampire the Masquerade. Did you see? Yes. I did. I loved it. So there's a ritual uh, that that some of you may not be familiar with, and it's called the Ritual of Death's Embrace. And essentially, it is um, the stereotypical vampirism where a person slowly dies over the course of like many nights or many weeks. You know, they, they get weaker and weaker and they eventually pass on and they're buried. That's the ritual. This is the ritual. These deviant Zemis assholes, they like to slowly kill their victims in a ritual act. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's right there. Um, it's weird that that didn't transfer into modern nights, though. Mm, mm. I don't I don't recall ever seeing that in a modern book. It's not that it didn't translate. I think it's a bit of wisdom that they included in Transylvania. After all, this is the land of Dracula. Right, right. Also, right? that's the point. Uh, also, um, in in this storytelling, in the storytelling chapter, they do something really good. So they give you like some some very just like small uh, ideas, right? Some little little story seeds that that can pop your game, you know, into the right direction. But they go so far as to give you like a a small little uh, like actual story that you can unfold in five acts. So like they give you chunks, big chunks of stuff that you can use for your game. Uh, and also one of the other things that I noticed that they do is they give you stories based geographically, like here's some stuff you can do in Poland. Here's some stuff you can do in Lithuania. You know, these are all stories that are directly tied to the geographic location. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you have anything else you want to add to that. I do. We said something that we, I just want to make sure we don't forget it. Uh We're talking about the Zemis Methuselahs. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, they're in here. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're they're definitely in here. So, um, yeah, th- we jumped ahead a little bit. But uh, they have these Zemis of renown. Um, for instance, uh, Yorak. He's a nice guy. Uh, <laughs> they have, he's a good uh, party guy. Yeah, he's, he's a good guy. Um, but also, anybody looking, uh, we found uh, Radu of Beastry. Uh, we, found, we found him. He's in here. <laughs> So, York is a priest of the Cathedral of Flesh. Uh, what he's done is up in the Carpathians, he's made a nightmare castle that can move on its own. It's uh, constructed, well, not a castle, a cathedral. It's constructed out of the bones and flesh of, well, anyone he, dis- he chooses goes in the cathedral. Um, what's his point? Uh, only Yorick knows. Uh, he's a legendary Zemis, if anything, and I would say the most important Zemis, I think, in any era. Um, short of the antediluvian itself. It's something to consider. Read about him there. Uh, you have Norris, the corrupter of legions. Now, Norris is a product of the Zemis infighting, the warring back and forth. Norris comes up with a crazy idea to embrace as many children as possible to send them out to commit diablerie. Their whole point is to run out and diablerize so that later on, 
he can diabolize them. He has a strange way of going about gaining power. And that's that's like one of the... It's just insane what his plan is, but that's kind of his deal. And Norris reminds you, in the way they draw him, of old Roman nobility, right? Like a, like a corrupted version of it. And I think that's it's a testament to the artist. I think it really speaks of the history they wrote. Um, then you have Radu. Radu is the Prince of Bistritz. Uh, what is unique about Radu is that he is a Zemis of peace. He is actually a good diplomat. He is actually a good ruler. He is able to take care of the people, defend the people, protect them, preserve kind of a way of life. Yes, Christianity is there in his town, but he permits the paganistic beliefs of those as well. He doesn't persecute nor allow persecution. He is a proper voivode. He will defend his people. But he also pays homage to the Arpads and negotiates with them for the best deals and benefits of trade, thus making him a good ruler. Um, that is his uniqueness. And strangely, he's loved. He's loved by these seven Magyar princes. He's loved by the, uh, well, just about everybody, including other Zemis, that he's loved is a strong word. He's accepted as a good ruler. Then you have Marilla, the sculptor, a sculptor of wolves. Her importance is something I think is a distinction. There's something that people forget about the Zemis. Your point is to evolve. A metamorphosis evolves their form. They do not change their base form to hide from some misdeed they did. There's a level of evil that they take pride in. And if a Zemis does something wrong, ownership is part of that. Alright? So, in, in the old world sense, nowhere have I read, nowhere is it written that a Zemis uses vicissitude as a bastardized form of obfuscate. That's not what it's for. So, Morella is an example of this. Her great beauty that she's born with, she refuses to modify her own flesh. Specifically changing her face. This does not mean she doesn't have a horrid form. What it means is that if she, when she gets out of her horrid form, she looks like her. There's no second mouth, no ten teeth anywhere, no monster vagina maw anywhere. It's, it's her all day. And that's how it is. And why this is important is because she takes her sculpting to all her servants. And her chosen servants are wolves. And that makes it pretty cool. And she's also straight dedicated to eliminating a target. I'll leave that for you to read uh, more about. She's not an assassin. She's the child of Red Dew. And they have a unique relationship. Um, my favorite Zemis in this book. Um, past a, um, I bypass Shagra because we talked about her previous podcast. Right. Uh, more in a little bit. Just she's there. Um, Vladimir Rustovich, the Voivode amongst Voivodes. Vladimir is my heart. Not only because <laughs> he's a Bradovich, because Vladimir Rustovich, if I could roleplay anyone, consistently would love to do it, it would be this guy. He's a dude who says, I hunt werewolves. He's his amiss. He has his own land. He worries about nothing. And he's here for the sole purpose of conquest. And he believes that his Voivode is the strongest, and he respects all the old ways. He respects all sorts coming to visit. You pay proper respect, respect is given, but only the strong will he consider as peers. Right. And only so long as they could defend themselves from him. Guy's a badass. Not just because of that, that whole, in a land torn with war on all sides, everybody dropping like flies, Vladimir's having the time of his existence. It is his time. And for some reason, no one can just take this guy out. It doesn't matter who gets sent. Right. He's just able to handle it. And that, to me, is a strong written character. Especially considered politically, everyone of strength so far has a lot of treachery that gets thrown their way to trip him up. And he doesn't have that problem. Right. Uh, I, I, I will say uh, like this. I, I have said it before. I think probably all things considered, 
the Zamis are my favorite clan, even if I don't know the proper way to pronounce her name. And no one pronounces it the same way. Uh, I, I say they're still probably my favorite clan. I think when you when you um, when you really get down to business of what they are, the you know uh, the adherence to the old ways, the traditions, the hospitality, and how terribly fiendish they are, unapologetically so. Like I've never uh, really that I can think of read about a Zemis that wasn't a sick evil bastard, and uh, that's that's what I like. So, um, you know, why play a Ventrue when you could play as a Mies? And a footnote for you Tremere fans. We are not skipping over going deep into the Tremere Sioris because I happen to know they get their own book. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. After this book yeah. and the Chronicles, the Zemis are done folding in the Dark Ages pretty much. Yeah. Until we get to the updated Dark Ages and all that. But uh, the Tremere do get, I believe it's called House Tremere. I believe so is the title of the book. And that gets into deep detail why the inconsistencies of what's going on and who's who. Right. And that we have to get deep in with the Tremere. So yeah. we're just we, sort we, of... We were doing like the old hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Like, yeah, of course, there's more There's more to be said about the Tremere because there's a whole lot more to say about them. Um, and then uh, let's get back uh, on track here and get to the appendix, as I like to call it, but it's the appendix. Appendix. Uh, appendix. Uh, it's like Raffer Jarretter. New from KTEL. Appendex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the one. the French say? Appendu. 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 No, it's not. It's the appendix. Anyways, um, revenants. There's two additional revenant families in here. Um, one of which, uh, I believe it is the, uh, the Danislav. Um, if I, if I'm remembering correctly, no. So the Danislav are the ones that are kinfolk, right? Right. Exactly. The, the Danislav are, <laughs> are shadow Lord kinfolk. How, what a bunch of assholes the Zemis remain to be to take a family of kinfolk and turn them into a revenant family. Specifically to know how much of a bastard these Zemis are. Um, I forget which Zemis and shame on me for not remembering which one that does convert them. Because they think it's funny that they did it. Right, I know that much. Right, right. Um, what it is, is that the Shadow Lords have a kind of a golden age for a bit. Where they have kinfolk. They can't miss in birthing kinfolk. Right. And you have these these Donislavs, which you have. You get them all birthed out. And they're so happy they're over the moon about them. And it's great that they're around. Shadow Lord strength is insured. Then the Zemis happen. Right? right, right. Some of these guys get captured. And the Zemis learn how to produce them every time. Right. right. Through torment and dark magics or whatever, they create this revenant family. But they're designed to hunt werewolves. Right? So the Shadow Lords think that in this big war with the Zemis, where they thought they all got wiped out, that they're completely gone when the Zemis actually captured them to experiment and to make them a revenant family. And oh, what a hoot. Right? For the werewolves, you know what a tragedy that is. They right. lost an entire generation and can't believe it. They're beside themselves. And that's why the Shadow Lords of the Sept in the Night Sky demand revenge. However, I want to draw a note to this. These Shadow Lords are bastards. I pointed this out. Yeah. That they, they were tyrants in the beginning, right? Then the Zemis come in and take over. And then it goes back to um, the Mortals, right? More or less. Well, the Zemis just stay there. They don't really go. But the Mortals, you can't have a straight ruler at that point with all that war. But the Shadow Lords, in the middle of their kind of mania when the Mortals are taking over, they start competing what mortals are ruling by which ones they support. In other words, they become a tribal warlord behind the bigger mortal 
and they fight for control. The Get Offenders come in and cool them out, and this guy's called Hammer. Hammer of the Night, I believe is what it is. And uh, this Hammer leads this Sept and actually starts straightening out the Shadow Lords in the Sept of the Night Sky. Well, at the height when they're about to oust the Zemis, get rid of them, goodbye, right. kill them, they're gone from Transylvania, a Ragabash Shadow Lord kills him. He literally assassinates him on the field of battle. Stabs him in the back with a clave, silver weapon, yep. kills him, and then all the Shadow Lords go, we're done. And the Zemis <laughs> are like, what? They're like, yeah, we're good. Thanks, appreciate it. And they go back to the Sept to <laughs> rejoice that they killed the Get Offenders who came in and wronged them. When the great evil was in front of them. Right. <laughs> and you sit there and go, you pricks. This is all about you ruling. That's all it was. This is why I love the Shadow Lords, by the way, in Werewolf. Is because these assholes don't have to explain it. You'd have to be a Shadow Lord to understand this was a good win. <laughs> this was a good win. Uh, the Zemis will always be there. Yeah, you, yeah, you weren't yeah. ever truly killing them all. Even though the Getter French are like, yes, actually. Uh, in, in German fashion, they're like, yes, they were there to die. They were all there to die. You just had to kill them. No, no. No, no. Only oh, our leadership. Mm-hmm. Only we're our all, leadership. We're all set. Right. We're all set. Yes. Uh, the, the second uh, uh, Revenant family is the Basarab. And uh, when I talked about the second vampiric uh, superstition, it's the... Uh, allergy to garlic. <laughs> I love these guys. Now, these, these guys are awesome. Um, just to give you guys a little bit of background, not to go too deep into them, they are the family that spawns Dracula, essentially. Um, yeah. the, the, the family sort of evolve over time, and um, I, the Zemis are so appalled at, at Dracula and the, the vile deeds that he commits they wipe this family out from the face of the earth. So, spoiler alert, they're fucking dead. Um, it's because they're of Roman descent. I just want to point that out. Roman and Dacians make strong babies. <laughs> Good job, Dracula. Good job. Good job. And then, uh, the last thing, last thing that uh, bears mentioning here, I think, is the uh, the servants of the demon Kapala, uh, which are, are coincidentally called Kapala. And uh, they're like, yeah, they're Bane spirits. Check out Werewolf the Apocalypse. Here's, uh, there, the, you know, there's no, there's no like, hey, uh, they would use potence. They're just like, they got art sense and corruption and materialize and possession and shape shift. The, these they are the basically guys. say, you like reading? You got this far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you check go pick up a book? Yeah, yeah. Go get some Werewolf the Apocalypse and learn a thing or two. <laughs> Favorite point about this book? I don't know if you realize it. I enjoyed it. Uh huh. They turn around and go, oh, we didn't forget about it. You know what infernalism is? Yeah, it's everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Okay? Slavic gods have dark gods and they're openly worshipped, which means infernalism has a back door to having demons everywhere. Right. If you think they're around, it's because they are. All right? They're all over the place. There was a reason folks came in here with... It wasn't... The Germans didn't sit around and go, do you know what I was thinking, Heinrich? I was thinking we could go north and get some good strudel... But then we can go east and like get our own stuff, some serves and slaves and trade. It would be so good. Yeah, let's go. They, none of this happened. They literally were sitting there in worship and they were like, something's going on in the east. What is it? Barbaric tribes, these heathens worship dark gods. What have they done? I They, they skinned some woman to a shrine in... What? Teutonic Knights, deploy. Goodbye, Bailabog. Right? That's where it started. Right, right. right? They learned of him then. Did, the, 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 did they note... Did any of the other tribes go, ah, shit, man, we'll get smoked by the Germans if we keep fucking around. Maybe we better tone down our pain. No, no. These guys said, that was the weak tribe that got it. We're going to keep doing it. Well, this book goes, guess what? It's everywhere. (laughs) 
right? They don't get a chapter. Get a storyteller book. Learn what Inferzlum could do. You figure it out. Right. That's to to them, and I, I like that they did this. The religious war aspects were enough. Right. You right. know, you'd have to be a goof not to think, oh yeah, where's the devil in it? Yeah. Now, it, the, this book, so I, I, let me give you all just a quick, quick summary, it, just in case we didn't on the last book. I think, I think we've established this book is a book rich in history of the region, and it is, it's a book you're going to be reading over and over and over again, and hopefully running your game out of this region. Um this book, I believe, might be out of print, but I'm sure you can still get a PDF of it. Um, and honestly, I, I believe I paid a little, a little much for it, um, but it was worth it. Um, well, it's it's ten bucks on PDF. You can get it on Drive Through RPG for ten dollars eighty cents. So th- to me, that's a no brainer. It's worth ten dollars eighty cents. So um, I agree. Um, I don't think that uh, it's fantastic. One of my favorite things about this book, though, is the ad in the back with the guy who's got the sword through his head, and he's <laughs> and it says it says he's slain your loyal ghouls, driven off your noble allies, laid waste to your demenses, demesnes, decimesnes, and he's staked you out as a gift to the sun. His Majesty the Pri- Prince thinks thinks you are no more. He's dead wrong. Uh, it's an ad for Wraith the Oblivion, and I feel like that might be slightly misleading as to what Wraith actually is. Well, we won't get into that. Marketing's marketing. <laughs> right. Marketing's right. marketing. Because if, if we're going to look at that, I, I, I screw you, because I didn't want to do this. I love this book. Yeah. But if we're going to do that, let's go look at the picture for Dominic. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. And I'm going to tell you right now, does it stack up to the description of his appearance? It certainly doesn't in regards to how he's presented in this book, and it definitely doesn't as to how he's presented in other material. But I think that's just, um, I think that's just the style of that particular artist. That particular artist does a lot of work in Dark Ages material, and some of it I really like. How old do you think Dominic looks like in that photo? Like he's fifty, right? If you read his description, he's a beautiful man. Yeah, I know, I know. An appearance five Adonis in armor that doesn't realize his own beauty because he's focused on war. They basically describe to you Achilles, right? right? <laughs> right. That's what he is. He is war incarnate, walking around with the with the appearance to match the charisma given. What and saddens what you get, me is how he ends. Right. And what you get is old man Socrates. Right. <laughs> right. It's just like, who is this guy? He's he's an old balding Carthaginian who's upset. Like, get him out of here. Get yeah. him a chair. Yeah, go you know, go go take a break, guy. Yeah. That armor looks a little heavy, buddy. You should go down. join your your slain wife and children in Elysium. Okay. Oh, and and I found out who my horrible, horrible, it's it's a Chimera. It's uh, that Malgorzata. Uh huh. She's the one who turns into a mewling mess by the Zemis. Oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That's yeah. I remember you mentioning that, and I was reading it the other day, and I was like, oh, this is terrible. Her, <laughs> she don't, she don't have a good. Nothing ends well for her. It's nothing. just bad, bad news, bad news bears. That's the worst and as, one. And as another side note, this is part four of Bob's suspicion that the Asimites and the Sol- and, and Salubri are just hidden clans of the Bali. <laughs> part four right the the asimite the first one they mention in here talks about how this guy was chosen by the asimite clan and he was this evil devilish priest that was stealing children being brought forth for sacrifice 
committing rights to a dark god. And he didn't change much. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and it did, did suddenly he gets embraced. And they're like, no, no, calm down, Hakim. Yeah, sure, Islam. Yeah, we got yeah. it. We're chill. We're chill. And then later on he goes, I'm going to make this chilled. And his chilled is an evil bastard. Yep. Okay? Is an evil guy who corrupts knights to go do some bad works. And then, chilled's awesome in the book, by the way. And then, turns around to chilled's destiny, or chilled's wannabe destiny, is to jump his sire, stake him, and diabolize him. Right. Right? The, the Asimites have a staunch code. That's red flag. Like, that's wrong. <laughs> right. You don't do that. Right. And he's like, I'm totally going to do it. Why? I'm an evil god. Uh-huh. And what's this guy do? His destiny is to become a guy on Path of Evil Revelations. Right. He refuses, he becomes the Asimite and then becomes an Infernalist. And they describe it, he's got a long fall ahead of him because he's on Humanity 8 right now. Yeah. But, and I'm sitting here going, you're fucking Bali! He's, he's well, the evil you know, bastard! I don't know what's in the ru- ruins of Corazon, but I'm sure the Asimite anti-tribute will find out. Uh, I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. A- anyways, I don't. I don't know. But uh, yeah, this is a great book. Um, so to repeat, no podcast next week. Sorry, guys. That's just how the cookie crumbles. We record on Fridays. I'll be in Chicago on Friday. I can't post and record at the same time because I'll be in a different place. And then we'll uh, we'll join you again the week after that for a whole bunch more on Transylvania, the chronicles of them. So this book, The Foundation, let's see what happens next. So cool. Thank you, Bob. As always, it is a pleasure podcasting with your face. And we will have, we will have, uh, we'll be back uh, in a couple of days with our Nerd Words podcast. If you guys don't know, you can find it on utilitymuffinlabs.com. This week we'll be doing a review of a Storyteller's Vault title. It will be fantastic and fun. And there's all kinds of things that will come after that. So check it out. That will be coming every week. We've been a little lax lately, but we're going to be doing them every week. So if you're like, damn, I need another Nate Bob VTM 25 podcast. Listen to Nerd Words. I also have another podcast called Playing Hooky I Do with my significant other, Rachel. Check out some of the other podcasts that we have on utilitymuffinlabs.com. That's it. Thank you, Bob. Thanks for listening. Bye, all. Thank you for listening to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. If you like our podcast and you'd like to help support our show, consider backing us at patreon.com forward slash 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. We offer reward tiers of additional Patreon-only podcasts, t-shirts, and personalized gaming experiences. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and go to our website, utilitymuffinlabs.com, for links to all of our social media, additional podcasts, and more. If you'd like to chat with us, submit a title for review, promote your gaming-related stuff or anything else you can think of, email me at nathan at utilitymuffinlabs.com. Utility Muffin Labs, consistently rated adequate. 